I spent my college days throwing perfect passes and trash-talking BYU. And I spent my college career smashing Utah Utes' faces into the mud. I'm Jason Buck. And I'm Scott Mitchell. After our careers in the NFL, we still talk trash. But mostly to each other on our podcast, Rivals. We talk all things football, college, and NFL. A little bit about life and growing up rivals. Download it each week wherever you get your podcasts or on the KSL Sports app. Go Cougs! And go Utes! Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. This is part two of our interview with Joel Beasley. If we go into a company and they have, like, say, 100 technologists, and they were to purchase it for all of them, like leaders, individual contributors, like everybody, then only about 10, 15% of people would actually do it and be interested. So that was one thing we learned. So that was, that was kind of like a higher level thing. About 10 to 15% of the people are, are willing like, to put in the work and do it consistently. Uh, Joel, in part one, we talked a lot about um, the podcast, The Modern CTO, which I would highly recommend everybody go and check out. And, you know, especially these great interviews you've got with CTO from NASA, CTO from Microsoft, Symantec, all these places. Um, but let's uh, let's shift gears for a minute and talk about your book. Tell us about that. Okay, so this first book ever, I had ever written, right? I I wrote the blog post and then pushed them out onto social media and ran ads against them to get people talking about each of the chapters, so I could figure out what questions the readers would have and attempt to answer them ahead of time. All that being said, I would recommend the book to engineers who are or developers, programmers, coders who are transitioning to become CTO or people interested in the story of, of, of how I made the transition from developer to CTO. And, and so just, for, just so everybody knows, the book is also called Modern CTO. You can get it on amazon.com and whatever. Yeah, I got some, I got some anger about the book though. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, so it was my first book. I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I just knew I had valuable information to share. But here's what I found out. There's two ways people read or want their books. They want the stories, and then they want the the practical, tactical advice. So I got you know some negative reviews and comments from people who um, were upset that there weren't like exact steps to you know perform the information I was talking about. And so at the in the next book we're working on, uh, at the end of the chapter we're going to have actual implementation. So that satisfies that part. And then I found that there's like some people who strictly care about length. And so I'm about making it as short and effective as possible. But some people want the um, want a much longer book. So I'm I'm still in my next book. I'm still not going to make it longer because I'm all about condensed, useful information. But I'm, I am going to add the action steps to to win that part of the audience. So again, um, my my broken record here is thinking about the principles for somebody who's trying to lead an innovative angle of their organization, and they're they're trying to push things forward. Um, you know, the idea of writing a good book is a, is a huge opportunity, you know, if it works to get attention for what, what an organization is working on. Right. Um, yeah. 
So talk about, uh, talk for a minute about handling the negativity, right? It, it sucks to have people criticize our stuff, especially when we pour our heart and soul into it. Um, any practical techniques, any, any ideas about, um, how to not take it personal or how to get over it or, or anything like that. Yeah. Well, the beauty of the book being on Amazon is you can actually go look and see how I handled it. Um, so I handled it by responding to every person who left a review. And if there were some people that said, Oh, there, uh, they had a question or something was left out or it was short. And, and so I said, Hey, let's jump on a Skype call and I'll answer any questions you have. Like, I'm, I'm sorry that you didn't, you know, find value in, in that area. You know, let's figure out how to improve and, jump on a call with me so we can talk about it. So I know what the audience wants. Um, of that, like one person did, and it was actually really useful. So, and then for other people, I just responded, you know, thank you for the feedback. Um, and then I also let them know my perspective. Like one person was negative in their uh, entry saying, oh, you know, you're charging more money and making it really short so you can make more money. I was like, well, first of all, books don't really make money. <laughs> uh, secondly, uh, I, I saw the shortness as a feature and that's actually from the comments I get on Twitter and from the, from my audience, they're always posting pictures of it saying, this was great. I read it on a plane trip, like it took me four hours to read yeah, or whatever. About, about how long is it? Just if you know, word counter page counter. Yeah. It's like three, it's like a three hour read, three, four hour read. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, uh, so it's funny that you say that because you and I, before we started the show, we're talking about Zoom and we both have respect for the CEO, Eric, over there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he is obsessive about that when for all those years getting Zoom up and going, every time people would cancel, he was like sending them personal emails and they would yeah. write back and be like, ha ha, I know this is not a responder. This is not actually the CEO of Zoom. He's like, no, it's me. Can we hop on a Zoom? I want to hear what we could have done better to have kept you. And it's just like, you know so customer obsessed and you know look at their success right yeah i mean we only a business only exists to bring value to a market so you know whenever you're if, if i guess an innovation tip would be connect what you're doing the work you're doing today to how that ultimately brings value to the market the customer you're serving it's so easy in the larger companies to get disconnected from who the customer is because you know the whole peter drucker thing as your company scales uh, the resources to manage its internal mass grow right so it's very difficult you get farther you don't get closer to the customer as your company gets bigger <laughs> you get farther from the customer so analyzing what you do on a day-to-day -day basis and how that ultimately impacts the customer is just as useful as an exercise for a product development person as a marketing director as the janitor like everybody should be acutely aware of what they're doing and how it brings value to the overall process yeah well, um, I'm on. I'm reading your thing on here on Amazon, and I want to get some some background on the. Uh, Joel began writing code at age 13, selling his first technology at 18 for a million dollars. Yeah, that was exciting. It says real estate comp real estate software. What what did it do? So it made for uh, like there were. Uh, let's see, how do I explain this? Mostly accounting. That that was the bigger one that it did. That was difficult for people. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. um, Thinking about this, a uh, million bucks at 18, what kind of, uh, re reflecting on that, you know, it's, that's a different experience from the huge percentage of 18 year olds. Um, yeah. As you reflect on that and you think about uh, lessons you learned or advantages from that, um, what, what kind of thoughts do you have about uh, that kind of a transaction at that age? Yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so my, my thoughts are, 
I'll give you an example. So my next project after that was a financial management technology because I had no idea about finances. I grew up very poor and I blew through the money pretty quickly. So um, it, I was I was <laughs> reckless and uh, I was an 18 year old with money. So the the good part is uh, I didn't burn like a bunch of bridges with people. I figured out how important it is to be humble, uh, you know, young, because you, you, and I realized how little a million dollars actually is. <laughs> so yeah, I learned a lot of lessons and I'm so grateful that it happened young. Like I'm so grateful that I didn't get like a million dollars at 30 and then learn all of those horrible lessons at a later stage in life when you have a family and kids and all of that. I learned them when I was single and 18. So I was very grateful for, for that experience. And then even more uh, gratitude for learning how to manage my finances after that experience. So, See, I'm a, I'm a slower learner than you. <laughs> I, had to, <laughs> I had to do that uh, twice and lose it all both times. But this third time, I'm planning on buying commercial real estate and having a long-term passive income. You know, perfect. Slow learner. Yeah, um, a little Pat, Pat Flynn or something. He's got the Passive Income Podcast, right? <laughs> um, so uh, actually, what I, I've been talking to some folks who was in some meetings in New York last week, and we're really thinking maybe we'll start a real estate investment trust. But um, beat, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you think about principals who, you know, from that, the rest of us, you know, who, who didn't make that kind of money at that kind of age, um, you know, if the rest of us were trying to learn from some of your mistakes, what's, what's one of them you'd bring up? Um, well, I, I think the biggest mistake was just not un managing money. I had no money management skills. Like if you, if I was a video game character and they had all the, all the skill blocks, my ability to understand and manage finances would be zero. So that was the big, the big mistake and takeaway from, from the entire experience. Yeah. And if you were going to point people who wanted to get better at that, do you like Warren Buffett? Do you like Dave Ramsey? Do you, who, where would you point people? Either. Yeah. Either is fine. Starting, I guess, with the budget, a spreadsheet. I mean, I don't, I don't have a, um, I, I, my experience is very different. So I knew this financial advisor named Robert and he had saw my success with the software company. Right. And I went to him and I was like, Robert, I'm like going broke. I need to, to make some, some money. And so we ended up, he taught me about finances. So I ended up going from like one extreme to another where I started building software that modeled financial situations. So I just like really went overboard with it. Um, so, you know, my advice to replicate it would, I guess, be go make friends with a financial advisor and have him teach you everything in the world. <laughs> you know, but you think about that. Um, how often do we do a Google search, but not actually seek out an expert to get one-on-one -on -one advice? It could be, you know, building a podcast or, you know, building a new car company, right? Like, regardless of the project, something similar to it has almost always been done in some form. And yeah. uh, I think about like how lucky I've been to have the mentors I've had, people willing to take time when it wasn't worth much to them personally. Um, and, and I feel like there's almost like this emotional resonance that I get when I hear the story in person from somebody, even though I'm a total audiobook nerd, I listen to my podcast, all this kind of stuff. There is something about that one-on-oneness of somebody who has been through it, made the mistakes, paid the price, paid their dues. And hearing it from them with the tone of voice implied and the these other things that come from that one on one type of information transfer and and also guidance, you know, somebody who can go back to repeatedly and go like, what about now? Right. 
It's amazing how I still crave, like, uh, Simon Sinek. I've consumed essentially all his material available to humanity, right? Amazing person. Listen, listen to this guy all the time. And I still crave to, like, tell him my story and have him give me advice, even though, like, I know what it'll be, right? Like, I know he's got these these areas where he I hear his same advice come up if you ever, you know, follow somebody and listen to all of their content. And so I have a good idea of, like, the two or three things he would tell me. But there's just something inside of me that's like, I need him to tell that to me after knowing my story. You know, there's just some additional validity to it. It's like relationships and human interaction is way undervalued in in many of the businesses, digital businesses, when we're all looking at, you know, ROI on how many ads we can show and get people to to sign up and pay. So it's we, we're always disconnecting um, from people and turning them into numbers. And so and, uh, I guess it just even raises the need for the in-person relationship more. It's interesting how many parts of life that helps when we quit thinking about people like a number, almost every part of life, right? <laughs> right. Well, um, let's talk about uh, let's talk about leadershipbits.io for a minute. You know, lots of people are whether they're trying to start a company, whether they're trying to expand the division of the organization they're in, they want to make something new, they want to bring in new customers. Um, you look at leadership uh, at leaderbits.io, and uh, my understanding. Well, why don't you give us the thirty-second elevator pitch, and then I got some questions. Yeah, so we're action-based micro content from the greatest technology leaders on earth that get you to take action every week. So we have this, these videos, and they're three-minute videos. You'll hear from the CTO of NASA, something that accelerated his career, or from Microsoft, or some of the, one of these great CTOs. Then we have these action items, you know, one, two, three, things you can do with yourself or with your team. And then you have a moment of reflection, and it's all bundled into this 10-minute experience, three-minute video, 10-minute experience, and then it's all inside of this uh, application that tracks it, tracks your accountability over time, and CTOs purchase it for their direct reports. Uh, leaders, you know, directors or VPs uh, purchase it for themselves so that they can turn their improvements into uh, something tangible. And then individuals purchase it to level themselves up. So those are sort of our three audiences that we have that purchase our product. That's great. Well, as you've been growing this, um... What are some of your lessons for, you know, customer acquisition? That's a, that's a subject that never gets old. What, yeah. you know, as you run different experiments, if you try different things, what do you feel like you've learned as far as having people going from people willing to consume a podcast for free versus, you know, plunk down dollars to actually try to take some action? Yeah. So I learned this about, um, if we go into a company and they have, like say a hundred technologists and they were to purchase it for all of them like leaders, individual contributors, like everybody, then only about 10, 15% of people would actually do it and be interested. So that was one thing we learned. So that was, that was kind of like a higher level thing. About 10 to 15% of the people are, are willing like, to put in the work and do it consistently. So that's pretty, I, I like that rule of thumb because it tends to ring true everywhere. Uh, we learned early on that enterprises are big deals that move very slowly. So I started, we moved away from enterprises because our idea was, hey, let's help change the world by going into companies and giving this to thousands of technologists at once so that we can create better leaders and that would actually have an impact on the world. Um, cash flow wise, from a business standpoint, I can't wait you know, nine, 10 months for XYZ Enterprise to decide that they wanna do it or not and hinge my entire company on that. So we had to refocus to the SMB space. So reading lots of books, talking to lots of people, asking for lots of help. 
And they said, if you win the SMB space, uh, small, medium businesses, then you have a, you'll do well and they move faster. They move in like three month quarter cycles, things like that. So we adjusted our pricing and outreach and all of that to the SMB market and that did well. And then we also found that even with the SMB market, you know, buying a product to improve your people, a lot of companies like don't believe in improving their people. <laughs> like I would say most of the companies are not awesome, but our goal is to find the ones who are and, you know, focus our energy on them. So, yeah. So, so what's an example? How do you do that? How do we do it? Sure. Um, all right, well, we'll bring some value. So one of the things we do is we um, get people to engage and offer, you come on the show, first of all. So if you're interested in leadership, they will come on the show and talk about leadership. So that filters out, we first filter out like people who are interested in leadership, right? And then we just build relationships with the those types of people. Like we have a mission. And so we identify people who are within our, uh, you know, purview, I guess, uh, who meet our qualifications because we focus on companies that have 20 to 100 plus engineers. And because that defines our market pretty well for us. For some reason, people were buying in that size. And I said, okay, well, let's not question it too much. And instead just talk to everybody in that size. <laughs> let's get like more sales, right? Because we're a new company. And so that's what, um, that's what we did. And, and again, what size was that? Say that again. For us, it was like, if you have 20 to 100 engineers, okay. you could have 300 engineers, but once you get like past about 500 engineers, you typically will have already, here's the interesting thing. The smaller companies, um, they usually have a lot of struggle and they don't know that leadership training is the solution. And then when they hit a certain size, they figured out how to solve their problems through leadership and management training. Mm. So we don't talk to the companies that have already figured out how to the solution. Like we don't, or we do a little bit, but we, we focus more of our energy on the people who are right at that brink where there's a lot of pressure to make something happen, but they haven't yet figured out that like, that's what it is. <laughs> so we just learned that by talking to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how no amount of planning can do that for you, right? Like you Zero. actually have to engage with them as a human instead of a number to find that out. Many, many, many. It took me about 40 phone. It took me about 40 meetings to realize that enterprises will tell me that they absolutely love it. It's fantastic. They they want to do it. They should do it, but it's going to take you, you know, a year or two to, to do something. And so that, and then it took me another 40 calls to figure out about the SMBs having a need for it and the differences in the companies that have already solved the need. And then we're just like a better way to solve. It's like, you can have leadership training for your technologist. Um, right now, they're training them with uh, like the same leadership training that you would train a salesperson and you know extroverted uh, salesperson with to be a leader. They use that same exact training for an introverted technologist. And so what happens is the technologist like mentally checks out and writes it off as stupid, and then they don't do the training or they just you know Christmas tree it in right. So for for that part of the market, we're just uh, a more of like a your tribe or a better solution to what they're already doing for technologists, but many of them don't make purchasing decisions um, like that, separated like that. They make it for the whole company. So when we talk to those people that have already identified the need and they're just buying a better version, that's one conversation. But we found that the people who are just ramping up and have a lot of pressure, um, that we could just educate them that this is the answer and then put them in touch with other companies that have implemented a program and say, yeah, that was the answer to our problem. And you know, that works out pretty well. Then they buy our product. I love it. You know, um, 
Do you know the Marcus Sheridan book about making websites that you know actually close deals called They Ask You Answer? No, I, I should read it though. Yeah, it's awesome. But uh, it makes me a big fan that on leaderbits.io, you're, you have your, your pricing like really transparent and right there. It's like the a, only ones in the industry that do that. Like none of no one who none of the other companies that you buy like leadership training from will will do that. <laughs> it's literally why we switched for ours at Mylan is because yeah. it's like who wants to call some sales guy who's going to try and corner you? I hate calling that guy. Why would I make people call our guy? Right. Anyway. Exactly. I cringe at it. And like, and I, 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 I know, you know, the thing. answer. Just tell me. Right. Yeah, it's like, look, I it turns me off so much when I'm shopping for products and I can't just figure out is this I want to be able to make the decision before I contact them. Like when I when I contact a company, it should be to facilitate the transaction. Nice. Like facilitate it, onboard me. Like, you know, I want to buy your product. I've already decided before I've even, you know, so I just figured we give everybody all the information in the world and then now we don't get unqualified leads bothering us. Right. Like, it's like, do you think they're magically going to come up with extra budget because they talk to you? Like either they can afford this or not. Right. Right. Yeah. It's either in their thing or they mark it down. No, that's cool, but I'll do it for next year. You know? Yeah. Well, listen, we're in, we're in pretty similar spaces. We've got a number of things in common, obviously a little bit of a, a different target, but, um, what advice would you have for us at Mylan, whether it's the show, whether it's our leadership program, just any kind of thoughts in general? Yeah, you guys should partner with us and look at our platform and check out how we do this bit thing because, you know, I'd say a big question that we get a lot is they get frustrated, what I was talking about earlier, they get frustrated that they can't just buy the solution for everybody because we focus on technologists, right? So if we had content from, you know, other leaders that weren't technology leaders, that would be really useful um, to include in our programs. That way we could train everyone plus their technologist. We just don't have that. Um, we don't have those re- relationships yet. So I love it. Sounds like we need to have an offline conversation here. Probably. <laughs> well, um, before we go here, is there anything, whether it has to do with this stuff or not, like, you know, a question you wish media would ask you when you're getting interviewed or just something that's one of your soapboxes? Just if it was a free for all, what do you, what do you want to close with? What's something that's you're passionate about? Discipline. I would say like learn to fall in love with it because it's freedom. And once you've figured out how to structure and discipline your life, you can have anything you want. And I know you, you've mentioned Tony Robbins and Simon Sinek, anybody else that you feel like helped you in kind of conquering yourself, mastering yourself? Yeah. I love John Maxwell. He's a fantastic author on leadership. He's been around for quite a while. I think he's written over a hundred books on it. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, it's funny. I, I've read a number of his, but not all of them by any means. But I find myself going back to uh, developing the leader within. Just Ooh, that's a good one. Over the years, that's the one I find myself going back to a number of times and recommending to other people. Yeah, I mean, he's part of my talk. Oh, um, really? Yeah, I was leadership is influence. When I first heard him say that, that like blew my mind. And ever since then, I've been blinded by that light. Like to me, there's no other way around it. He's proved it. Like from in order, right? In order to be a leader, you have to have a follower. And in order to have a follower, you have to have influence someone. So like on its most basic level, like first principles, physics, like they're intertwined perfectly. Like you cannot have one without the other. And the only way you can get the followers through influence. And so a leader leadership is influence. Yeah. Love it. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for making time for this. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, folks, check out the modern CTO podcast and book and check out uh, leaderbits.io as well. Thanks again. Yeah.
Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.